All right, Genesis chapter 39. We're talking about Joseph today, the big one. Uh, His story of being thrown into jail is probably the quintessential prison passage of the entire Old Testament. At least for me, if I think about prison passages, in the Old Testament it's Joseph, in the New Testament it's, you know, Paul and Silas in the Philippian prison. Uh, But in fact, you know, this is the first time that you see, find the word prison or the concept of prison in the Bible is the story of Joseph. It's an interesting one. It's a long passage, so we need to get into it uh, and get through it, and then we'll talk about what we're going to talk about. So to catch us up so that we don't have to read, you know, three long chapters, um, Joseph, around the age of 17, has been sold into slavery by his brothers. He was trafficked to Egypt, where he was sold again into the house of a wealthy ruler there. Uh, While there, he was falsely accused of attempted rape. And then we pick up our story of his imprisonment, starting in Genesis 39, verse 20. And there we read this. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. It came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them into custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them. So they were in custody for a while. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream, both of them, each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came in to them in the morning and looked at them, and he saw that they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, We each have had a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them. Uh, tell them to me, please. Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph, and he said to him, Behold, in my dream a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches. It was, uh, it was as though it budded, and its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner, when you were his butler. But remember me when it is well with you, and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh, and get me out of this house." For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews, and also I have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I also was in my dream, and there were three white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. So Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you, and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh from you. Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, 
And he placed the cup in, the, in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. As an aside, I love these guys. These are their birthday celebrations. All the things they do. I'm going to butcher somebody down today for my birthday. But uh, I'd like us... One of the reasons J.W. Jews is not celebrating birthdays. Oh, well, there you go. Okay. I didn't know that. That's interesting. I'd like us to focus on contentment and faithfulness this morning because that is the theme that really jumped out at me as I looked at this passage. Of course... You know, we know that the entirety of this incredible plan that God was working out in Joseph's life. We know that how, how Joseph was used by God to save the known world during a time of severe famine. We know about the great reunion he's going to have with his family. We know about the fulfillment of his own boyhood dreams that the Lord had given him. We know all of that. We know all of that. And so we can't really separate that knowledge out from our reading here. But as we look at this passage, and specifically his imprisonment, I mean, look at his... Look at Joseph in the midst of this passage, in the midst of this text. And you, and you can't help but see a very godly, very biblical contentment and faithfulness. You know, on the physical or, or the circumstantial level, everything about Joseph's life was the opposite of what we would seek for ourselves. He had no freedom. He had no hope for the future. The best years of his young life were going to be spent as a prisoner and a slave, separated from his family. He was a captive in a foreign land. This is literally the worst case scenario. That's what we find uh, for this young man. In the text, the Holy Spirit almost pours salt on, on the wounds, as it were, as we read three times specifically how it says, and Joseph was confined. By the way, he was confined there. And a third time, he was confined. And then uh, three other times, it talks about Joseph being in custody, you know, and and I tried to emphasize that as, as we were reading. And it's like, man, hold, yeah, the Lord is like, yeah, see, I put him there. I can find him. He is in custody there by my will. You see, uh, uh, you know, Joseph there in this terrible state. Yet you see a man who is absolutely, you know, tethered down clearly by the will of God. Um, and it's an interesting thing. However, in Joseph, in his attitude, we see acceptance and contentment and faithfulness and service to those around him. And we see that God brings an incredible amount of provision and spiritual prosperity to his life and to what we would call his ministry. Those are kind of the two constants that I see throughout this text. Just the, the dire circumstances surrounding Joseph and then the blessings of God as Joseph is faithful to be content there. Look quickly again at chapter 39 verses 20 and 21 to illustrate this. It says, Then Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Now, Joseph didn't have the knowledge that we have about what the Lord was doing in his life. He was just, you know, in the thick of it. You know, way later in Genesis, he makes the incredible statement that we love. You know, he says to his brothers, yeah, you meant it for evil. And all of this stuff that happened in my life was meant for evil, but God meant it for good. But right now, he's just in the middle of it. Right now, he's just in the thick of it, realizing that, hey, I'm like a 20-year-old, you know, uh, foreign slave prisoner, and I have no hope for the future. But despite his circumstances, we see a man honoring God there. We see him serving others, and we really see him living contented. Right off the bat, we see that God gifts Joseph, and, and, and he is skilled in administration. He's gifted in leadership. The Lord gives him favor with the people around him. 
But that doesn't really matter. If you have favor with people around you, that doesn't really matter if you're unwilling to then go and take the opportunities that the Lord has put around you. If Joseph just wanted to sulk in, in his dungeon cell and you know be upset all the time, it really wouldn't matter if he was skilled in leadership or administration or if he had favor with the keepers of the prison. Uh, on the other hand, it wasn't that he was living a, a silver spoon life, not at all. I mean, it, it, this may have been a more upscale prison than, say, Jeremiah experienced or Paul and Silas experienced in Philippi. It was a sort of a political prison, but it was still a prison. And he, he still described it as a dungeon, and he was still absolutely a captive um, with no hope for the future. And yet, despite that, he lived a life of service, and that's what we see. He, he hadn't given up, he hadn't, hadn't you know... Uh, uh, you know, quit engaging with those around him. He took a look at what the Lord was doing in his life, and he engaged in that, and he lived a life of service. Look at chapter 40, verse 4. For example, the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, the cupbearer and the baker, and he served them. So they were in custody for a while. And so Joseph there, despite his circumstances, is living out a life of service to those around him in a life where the gifts God has given him, he's going to use and he's going to take those opportunities despite the circumstances that were around him. Now, a few verses after this verse in, in chapter 40, we see that Joseph is, you know, doing his regular duty and he noticed that these two guys, the butler and the baker, they were preoccupied and they were sad after they had these dreams. He goes to them personally and he expresses care for them and he seeks to encourage them. He says, hey, you and me, me and you, you're upset right now. Uh, yeah, I'm upset because I'm in a political prison for the rest of my life probably. But he's, no, he goes to them and he says, you know, I have a personal relationship with these people. There's something wrong. Well, how can I encourage you? How can I talk to you? What's going on in your life? And, and, and then he brings them a message from the Lord. He says, yeah, the Lord's going to tell you what's going on. I'm going to tell you what the Lord has said. This is from a man who had his entire life stolen from him. And, and, and it's a really remarkable thing when we look at Joseph's attitude and his willingness to serve others despite the circumstances of his physical life. So how does this happen? How do you, how do you, you know, grab hold of this kind of relationship with the Lord and this kind of contentment and faithfulness? Well, the key was that Joseph bought into the idea that God was with him. That, that's the key. I mean, he... You see it even on a small level. He says, hey, you guys had a dream. Well, God gives interpretations of dreams, so let's talk to him about that. And so he had a, a faith in the Lord, and he had a, a trust, and he bought into the idea that the Lord was with him. He bought into the idea that where the Lord had placed him was where he was meant to be. Um, he may, maybe didn't understand all the things that were going on in his life, but he... He was willing and submitted to his God who had placed him there. He determined to be content and to work and to serve and to honor God right where he was, and he didn't kick against that confinement. Uh, because of that, we, of course, see the exaltation of Joseph later on in Genesis, but we see a, an incredible glorification of God. Uh, you see the, the, you know, the, na the, the testimony of God going out in this pagan and terrible land. Uh, because Joseph was a willing participant in God's plan for his life, because he wasn't Jonah at heart, God's people and much of the known world were saved from starvation and death. And of course, we look at that and we say, well, yeah, look, look how the Lord orchestrated all of this so that the, 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 you know, the children of Israel and so that much of the known world could be saved from this incredible famine that was coming on the world. Um, 
But does that mean Joseph was happy with everything that was going on in his life? No, of course not. I mean, he wasn't happy about his circumstances. Not at all. He says to the butler, hey, when you are out, please remember me so that I can get out of here too. Um, but I don't even, that's not really a complaint. He's saying, hey, I'm not even supposed to be here. I haven't done anything that's worthy of being in prison. And when you're out, as I've told you, that God is going to set you free. And when you're free, remember me. And remember that I'm here wrongfully. And kind of everybody knows that I'm here wrongfully. That's a whole other study. But it's clear that Potiphar knew that Joseph didn't rape his wife or try to rape his wife. I mean, uh, that's a whole side thing. But he says, remember me. So it wasn't that he was happy about his circumstances, but he wasn't complaining about them. And, and he was content to be in the place that God had put him. Uh, now, eventually, that's what happens. You know, several years after this passage, the butler finally does remember Joseph, and then that's what gets him out of there. And he goes to Pharaoh, interprets a dream for Pharaoh, and the rest is, you know, the history that we know so well. So it wasn't that Joseph was all excited about living a life as a foreign enslaved prisoner in the land of Egypt. That's not what he was excited about. However, he was confident in his God. And he was confident in the God who had shown him mercy, the God who had given him favor, the God who had given him gifting, the God was, that he was determining Joseph's life, and he bought into that. Joseph was okay with that. He was submitted to that, despite the fact that his physical circumstances weren't all that he wanted for himself. And so how does this work out for us as we're trying to apply these things and his example to our lives? We look at this passage, and, and, and we see God's word describing Joseph, and we see it saying he was there in the prison and really driving that home. And, and you can't get away from this passage without seeing that, you know, the Lord kind of put him there on purpose. And we look at that and we know definitively that God had, had, had purposefully placed Joseph in that terrible place or in that difficult place so that a great work could be done and so that the Lord would be magnified through this young man's life. He was there in the prison so the Lord could purposefully prosper his ministry to others. And so the question is, where are you today? Where am I today? Where do you find yourself? Where have you been scattered by the Lord as his disciple? What people are you around? What people has God brought into your path? Who around you is confounded by, by something going on in their life? Who around you is discouraged or saddened or, or struggling? Who around you is needing a message from God? What has been entrusted into your hands? Are you being trustworthy with the responsibilities, both spiritual and physical, that have been given to you by God? Those are the questions that we have to evaluate within our own lives as we look at the example of Joseph. Because it's clear throughout this story that the Lord was there with Joseph in the prison. He was pouring out mercy. He was pouring out gifting. He was paving the way for Joseph to find favor with those around him. He brought all kinds of opportunities to Joseph for ministry and service and all this other stuff. But God also confined him to a set of circumstances that weren't ideal, a set of circumstances that we might think weren't fair. And that's where God worked in Joseph's life. That was the route that God chose so that Joseph could be the savior, the physical savior of the land of Egypt and the children of his father and much of the known world during that famine. And when we look at our own lives, I, I, at least I know for myself, and this spoke to me, that I'm looking for more of a Daniel-type calling. You know, I mean, it's the same sort of scenario. I mean, he, he had some rough stuff, but it's the same sort of scenario. Young man taken from his home, separated, you know, in a foreign land. But almost immediately, he's made into this incredible ruler. There's no, there's no prison. There's no false charges of attempted rape. 
you know, Daniel gets to Babylon, and it's almost as if they were waiting there to shower him with these monumental physical blessings and prominence and prestige and all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, I think I would rather have a Daniel calling than a Joseph calling. I can deal with a, you know, a miraculous evening in the lion's den if I have to, but let's skip these many, many years in Potiphar's house as a slave and many years in prison unlawfully and all of this sort of stuff. But that's not how it works for everyone. You know, you get to the New Testament, and Jesus explains on the ministerial level that he entrusts his people differently in the ministry and in his kingdom. All of us are called to service. All of us are called to work in the Lord's kingdom. But he calls each of us differently. To some, he's given five talents. To some, he's given two talents. To some, he's given one talent. That's the parable of the talents that the master came and doled out you know, a different number and a different set of resources to each of the servants. And it wasn't about how many you received. It was about how faithful you were with what the Lord has given you. And what happens, though, is sometimes I look at my one coin, my one talent that the Lord has given me, perhaps, and I not only question God about how much more important I am, hey, Lord, you really should probably give me 10 or 100 or maybe like 10,000 talents because I'm, I'm worth that, you know. But, but I also get disappointed then by the fact that someone else has two beside me or somebody else has five beside me. You know, Lord, you've given that person five times more than you've given me, and that's not fair. And I want, I want what you gave them, and I want to work in that field that you put them, and I, you know, I want their life, I want their portion. I deserve to be the biggest. I deserve to have it the easiest. Uh, and it's a discontentment that sets in our hearts, and it's a, a failure to be faithful to what the Lord has provided to us. The problem is that we do not understand the incredible things that the Lord is working out through our lives and the circumstances that he's brought us. We don't get to see the end of the story as far as the will of God for our lives yet. I mean, we know we're going to end up in heaven, but we don't get to see that reunion you know, with Joseph's family yet or the, you know, the, the salvation through the famine and all that sort of thing. You know, there were these multiplied millions of people that the Lord was saying, I want to spare their lives from starvation, and I'm going to use this guy to do it, and it's going to cost something for him to get there. Uh, that was the route that got him into Pharaoh's household so that he could store up all that grain and save all of these different people. Um, but, you know, we, we lose, if we lose sight of God's will and if we, you know, get upset with the circumstances that we're confined in, if we start, then, then we're going to start neglecting what God has given us to do. And, and then we start arguing with God and trying to negotiate with him based on what we think we should be receiving. I think I should be second in command over Egypt right now. I think I should be in charge of Babylon, Lord. So why don't you just do that without you know, anything else going on? I want to be in a different field. I want to be in a diff with a different group of people. I want to be in a different you know, physical climate, as it were. But sometimes, and most of the time, God confines us. In the necessary work that he's called us to do, there are always going to be moments of sacrifice and submission because lives and eternities are at stake, and that's how he works. He says, yeah, I'm getting to this point where these people are impacted with the gospel, and these people are ministered to, and this is the route that you get there. This is how I get you there so that you can make an impact for the kingdom. And because Joseph found contentment in the God of mercy, in the God of favor, in the God of gifting, in the God of faith, because he was content, because of that, the world was changed and his life was changed and he was able to rise above his uncomfortable circumstances and impact those around him because that god was able to do uh, uh what he did in joseph we see you know this incredible world changing event and joseph was on board and so we need to find contentment we need to take hold of it 
doesn't mean we have to like everything that's going in our lives. It doesn't mean uh, that, you know, you know, we have to enjoy every set of circumstances. But it does mean that we relinquish control of ourselves and relinquish our idea of what our life should be to the God who's already got it worked out and already has a good plan for our lives. That is the way that we get to this Joseph level of satisfaction and godliness. Joseph had vision. He had a dream to get out of the place that he was in. That's fine. But along the way, he determined to have peace in God within his confinement. He determined to show compassion and service to others. He determined to be faithful with the lot that the Lord had brought to his life. You know, I work at a church, so a lot of times I think about this sort of struggle uh, in terms of size of ministry and prominence of pastors and things like that. And I was thinking about the other day how detrimental and impossible discontentment is. Um, when you think about it on the carnal level. Because when we are trying to achieve something outside of the will of God, we cannot be satisfied. You cannot be satisfied searching for something outside of the will of God. You know, I was, if, you, if I was thinking about it on the pastoral level, I was thinking, you know, maybe a, a pastor of the church gets discontented and he, let's say he has a church of 50. And that church, you know, maybe that discontented pastor says, I just wish my church was 500 people. Or maybe the discontented pastor of 500 says, I just wish my church was 5,000 people. Uh, it's all right to have vision. And we see that Joseph had vision to get out of prison. But we need to relinquish our futures to what God has set in front of us. Because if we are trying to free ourselves from the confinement that God has put on our lives, then it doesn't matter what I achieve or what I go after. I, I won't find satisfaction. I can want to be Greg Laurie, and let's say, let's say I get there. Let's say you know, a person says, I want to be Greg Laurie. Okay, let's say you become Greg Laurie. You may be Greg Laurie, but you're not Billy Graham. You may be Billy Graham, but you're not Charles Spurgeon. You may be Charles Spurgeon, but you're not the Apostle Paul. And so there's never contentment, out, there's never contentment outside of the will of God. And as we try to say, well, I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to build this for myself, there is not contentment outside of that because the Lord has a plan for your life, and he's working that out. And the point is that God has confined us to a specific time and a specific place and a specific people for a reason, each and every one of us. He has put a talent or two or five into your hand so that you can work with what the Lord has given you. And faithfulness to what God has given you is the biblical pursuit of the Christian life. And if we're wrapped up in self-pity or self-glorification or discontentment, then the work that God has entrusted to us will be wasted and the Lord's presence in our lives will be diminished. And then on top of that, our carnal desires are not going to be satiated anyway. So God is with you. He has equipped you. He has poured out mercy and favor and opportunity in your life. And so now it's our turn and our time to engage and serve and trust that whatever is around us, the Lord means for good as we are faithful to walk in the paths and the directions that he has called us to. So enjoy it out there.